Hey everyone, welcome back. Today is Coupon Expiration Day and CPI Day. We've got Warren Buffett on Squawk Box talking about carbon capture technologies at Occidental Petroleum leading into CPI. Let's listen in to a little bit of what Warren has to say. Actually, one of the reasons I had originally invested in Occidental was because of the carbon capture tech. Uh, let's listen in. Dang. Well, uh, it, 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 it's essentially nothing. And we, we are writing more cat cover this year, actually, than we were writing last year because the prices are somewhat better. And actually, you know, I don't know a damn thing about hurricanes, but but uh, but in terms of, you know, El Nino or whatever it may be, it's it's slightly it's somewhat more probable that, it, that we have a good hurricane uh, season. I mean, a good one being a low one than than last year. But but there's all kinds of chance events. And that's what we insure people against. But, but uh, can you say with, without hesitation, you know, can you say careful. without hesitation that you you need to charge much higher premiums because these things are happening much more frequently? Because that's we're consider we're considering spending no, 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 in terms no. of no, we're charging higher. Go ahead. We're charging higher prices, Joe, because prices got too low. I mean, we're we're, we're the price level for hurricane insurance is not. I mean, if you take Florida as an example, for example, we say we'll, we'll insure against any event that causes more than $50 billion of damage in Florida. You know, and there's all kinds of reinsurance contracts. But those, are, those have been priced well below what they were uh, some years ago. And, and, and we, we didn't think we were getting paid enough. Uh, but now prices have moved back up somewhat and we... You know, Ajit calls me and says, how much are you willing to lose in a single event, you know, in, in, in Florida or, or Texas or, or earthquake? And I said, you know, we can lose $10 billion and nobody else can play in that game. Uh, and so now it hasn't been, it's not as attractive as it's been at different times, but, but the auto insurance, which we've done big through Geico, the average price of our policy when I went in in 1950 was, I don't know, 50 or 60 bucks, and now it's over $2,000 a year. And, and we even went, the whole auto insurance industry went from pricing the stuff for a yearly policy to changing it every six months. I mean, we are not issuing any 20-year policies or 30-year policy. And it's not a special risk for insurers. You just keep adjusting your prices to the risk as the, as the risk changes. And, and you can argue, uh, I sure as hell don't wish it on anybody, but you can argue inflation is basically good for insurance because you're right, you know, you get much bigger premiums on much bigger coverages. And, and, and that's actually happened in auto insurance. Well, while the, the autos have gotten safer, you know, and it isn't everybody is, uh, driving terribly compared to the way they drive 20 years the accidents per 100 million miles driven you know it's gone down a lot but the price of insurance auto insurance has gone up like 30 or 40 for one and it went up it was going up at a fast enough rate that the insurance company said we're not going to say give you a one-year policy we're going to give you a six-month policy if it was going fast enough we'd give a one-month policy or a 30 you know 15-day policy uh you know we we are not committing ourselves as to what Insurance is going to cost in respect to climate 30 years from now. And we, it, it is not a special risk to the insurance industry. Now, people don't get that, but it really isn't. I mean, and, and we're backing it up with money every day.
Well, let me just ask you um, about the economy. We have heard recently from Jamie Dimon in his annual letter uh, at J.P. Morgan. He says a recession is much more likely now. Janet Yellen was just speaking, I think, in the last 24 hours, although it's hard to track from here when things are happening, has just said in the last 24 hours, I think, that the U.S. is in better shape now than it was six months ago. Which of those camps would you put yourself in? Well, I, I, I know what a lot of different businesses are doing, and I just got a report from one of them that happens to be in the retail-related business. And in any event, you know, it was minus 22% in February from a year ago. And they sales? didn't think that was going to happen. Sales? You mean in, sales. Profit, in sales. sales. Probably down a lot more than that. On the other hand, some of our businesses are still doing fine, but they all are reporting that the new, you know, some of them are living off of orders were placed months earlier and that sort of thing. But, but uh, it's a tougher world out there in a great many businesses, not in the insurance business. Uh, insurance business should be better this year than last year. That doesn't mean it will be because we, we can't predict everything that happens, but on a probability basis, it should be better than last year. And the railroad business is down uh, and carloads carried, uh, but it isn't dramatic. And of course, we've got a utility business and that doesn't really vary much with things. So, it, But overall, I think people that run our businesses that do have any sensitivity to the economy are surprised at where they are now compared to where they thought they were going to be six months ago. That doesn't mean the world is coming to an end or anything. Because uh, uh, 58 years I've been running Berkshire, I mean, we've run into all kinds of problems, but but that's that's what business is about. And, and, and we run our business so that we don't depend on everything being big hunky dory always we run it so that we will be the last man standing and 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 that's the way if, if millions of people are going to give me their money and tell me to take care of it we're going to try and take care of it and if we don't make as much it's a really good point by the way out of if we leveraged more or done other policies so be it but you think a recession is more likely now than maybe you would have said six months ago well i think most of our manager would say would say that they are surprised at where they are now compared to how they thought they were going to feel six months ago at this point and in a lot of businesses, but yeah. not in the insurance business, you know, and, and, uh, uh, but I think the people at the railroad are, are somewhat surprised that car loadings aren't a little higher rather than a little lower, you know, somewhat lower, but most of the stuff we carry is, is essential, but, but it reflects what's happening. And, and of course, Supply lines were so disrupted and everything a year or two ago that, uh, uh, you know, no economic figures are pure, but I will, I'm just telling you my impression. And I look at the numbers every day. I mean, I can, I look at our Easter sales day by day at the candy store. And I, I, you know, I can look at California versus Washington versus Oregon and I can, I get them the next day. I mean, so I, I, I love figures, you know, I'm, I'm say that it doesn't really do me that good to be such a figure not but i just like it when i see it <laughs> in terms of the potential for a credit crunch coming through what the banks are going through right now there's been a lot of speculation about what that could mean to the economy is it going to mean a, a 0.5 percent hit to gdp is it going to mean a one percent hit to gdp what would you guess i would say that i've been in business running berkshire for 58 years and i've never found economic forecasts of any use to the company, and and 
all we have to do is keep running every business as well as we can, and we got to keep plenty of cash on hand so that people can keep making intelligence decisions rather than those forced upon them. And that's all we know how to do. And if I didn't depend in my life on economic forecasts, you know, I don't think we could make any money. I don't know how to do it. And, and you know, people want to get them, so they get them, but, but uh, it doesn't, it has no utility. When I, when I find one of our companies has hired somebody to tell them what's going to happen in the economy, I mean, they've thrown the money away as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, so you had 120. I'm, I'm very tolerant. Okay. I, Berkshire had 128 billion almost in cash at the end of the year. Cash and the, treasury bills. And, and, and treasury bills. And, and, and a, a, a bit in money market, government bond only uh, money market funds. Uh, but we've never, we don't own commercial paper, and we, and we didn't in 2008. Now we, 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 you know, it's, we want to be ready for anything that happens. Do you have more or less? Seven minutes. Uh, where are we? Three and a half months later. Yeah. Well, we laid out, um, you know, seven or billion plus uh, in terms of the pilot, and we spent four billion buying in stocks. So that's eleven billion that's gone out the door. But uh, uh, we'll know the figures and you know exact. But I think we're probably up on cash and and, and treasury bills. Yeah. Just because more keeps coming in. The money comes in every day, uh, and and uh, you know we earn in the neighborhood of something over a hundred million dollars a working day, and a little less than uh, that for all calendar days. And that money comes in, and and uh, uh, we spend the money that we had for depreciation. We don't talk about EBITDA or anything like that crazy thing, but but. We have a lot of money coming in, and the float grows in insurance, and, and, and we'll continue to have a lot of money coming in, and we'd love to deploy some of it. We also want to have enough money around so that the worst can happen, and we're, not, we're looked at as an asset to the United States recovery rather than, a, rather than a, something that caused uh, the problems of the economy. And would you say you're doing anything differently at this point, just in terms of all right, you're not going to worry about economic. No, no. We haven't changed. We don't change our what we're doing in terms of trying to improve the railroad or what. We, you know, it, it, they don't want to. I don't want to give economic forecasts to our managers to how they run their business. I just want them to make sure that they have happy customers and and that they have they're cost effective and that behave good citizens, but that they. You know, they ask me and before they spend a lot of money in terms of capital allocation. Warren, if you don't mind, we're going to pause here because we do have that big CPI number coming up. Uh, we're going to have more with Warren in just a little bit. But right now, Andrew, we'll, we'll toss it back over to you. That's right, Becky. In just a moment. All right. Awesome. We have CPI coming up uh, in five minutes here. Uh, this is going to be pretty exciting. You can see the estimates there on screen from CNBC. Uh, we are going to be going through this report pretty detailed uh, in a pretty detailed manner. And so I'm excited to uh, go through it all with you. Uh, some pretty incredible insight, as usual, from Warren Buffett. We might catch up on that a little later. For now, though, let's uh, take a check and uh, see how things are going uh, in pre-market. Uh, keep in mind, we'll be having another price increase on the programs and building your wealth link down 
below. So I would love for you to check out the links down below. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead and see how the pre-market is moving. And then we'll look at expectations and we'll get to the data as it comes in within the next four minutes. So we got futures basically flat. It looks like Bitcoin just moved back up over 30,000. You have it sitting at 30,035. Next stop would probably be knocking on the door of 35.9. If we continue on this trend, you've got the 10-year treasury sitting at 3441. Now, what's interesting is that 30-year mortgage rate is actually not moving uh, terribly much to the downside, even though we've seen this 40 basis, 40 to 80 basis, actually closer to 80 basis point drop in, uh, in mortgage rates. Look at this weird volatility you're seeing on the blue line of mortgage rates over here. Let's throw this up on screen. It, okay, well, if we can push the right button. <laughs> there we go. So take a look at this right here. You see uh, the 30-year uh, mortgage sitting at 6.9 for a 740 credit score. Uh, even if I jump over to Cali, it doesn't make a difference here. You see this temporary dip we had over here in mortgage rates. But even though that 10-year treasury is coming down, you're seeing mortgage rates hold pretty steady right now going into this inflation data. Part of that could be because of widening spreads, so widening fears of stress. So let's talk projections uh, and, and try to tie this all together uh, as we get started here for our CPI data. So let's make a quick little note here. Uh, keep in mind, I live stream every day. Uh, actually, I don't even take weekends off <laughs> to cover the Meet Kevin report. So let's get started here on uh, CPI, which we are now about two minutes away from CPI. Let's write that down. Okay, here we go. We're now two minutes away from the CPI inflation report. The projections are CPI 0.2% month over month. My projection is 0.1% month over month. CPI X energy and food month over month 0.4. We are uh, projecting myself. I'm projecting 0.3%. Uh, so a one-tenth of a percent below both of, both of those are my projections for the month over month figures. The prior report was 0.4 and 0.5. So we'd be coming down down with a 0.2 and 0.4 on both of those. Year over year, we're going to see a nice big decline moving from a year over year of 6% to 5.1%, which is a fantastic drop down. Uh, however, core is expected to actually tick up slightly from 5.5 to 5.6. So we'll be getting that data within about the next 100 seconds here. We're very excited. This is a big moment. This is, a, this is absolutely going to give us guidance on whether or not the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates by either 25 basis points again or pause. This is a very big deal. Right now, the expiration of the coupon code is also uh, set for today. We'll be raising prices on that uh, tonight. Now, let's go ahead and look at the uh, rate monitor as we get into the next 60 seconds here. So the uh, rate monitor puts us at about a 74.7% chance of getting a uh, 25 basis point hike next. The Federal Reserve does appear to be split on this. Ten-year treasuries have come down. So that is a loosening of financial conditions, though mortgage rates do still remain high. Uh, at about 6.9% for the 30-year mortgage as credit spreads are widening. So that's actually a weird phenomenon where you can actually see 10-year uh, treasury yields come down, but financial conditions remain tight and keep mortgage rates high for real estate. Uh, however, real estate inventory has been so low, we have not 
actually seen any kind of uh, major pain just yet in real estate. Okay, we are now just seconds away from the CPI data. Uh, within the next uh, 10, 20 seconds here, we'll have the CPI data. We'll be going through the report as well. Uh, this is a big moment. Again, we're looking for, uh, market is looking for 0.2 and 0.4. So drum roll and uh, stay tuned. Remember, check out that coupon code. Oh my God, it's 0.1 month over month. I was right. However, the core was 0.4. Uh, so core matches expectation, 0.1 on the month over month. Let's freaking go. Let's go. Uh, year over year comes in a little soft as well at 5% as opposed to 5.1. Core matches expectations at 5.6. So expectations matched on core month over month and year over year. Uh, however, on non-core, we got that 0.1% and that 5% year over year. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's, a, that's a sign of not a devastatingly weakening economy. It's not a sign that we're in this crazy recession that everything is falling off a cliff. It is a fantastic sign that inflation is continuing to trend down upon expectations. We're not getting any kind of crazy uh, reanimation of inflation here, uh, even though uh, outside of expectations, uh, we're, we're not. Uh, and that's a big issue, right? We were worried that maybe in this report we would see some kind of massive increase in services inflation or something. Uh, keep in mind, housing inflation is still keeping these numbers really elevated. So we're going to take a look at all of that data here. But this is a fantastic report so far based on the headline numbers here. We're going to get Wall Street reactions here as well. But let's get into uh, both the report and uh, Wall Street expectations uh, or Wall Street reactions rather. So let's jump into the actual report. And uh, here we go. This is the actual report uh, on screen now. Let's see what we got here. CPI rises 0.1%. That was my expectation. There were only four economists out of all of them surveyed that had that expectations. Uh, had that expectation. Over 40 of them interviewed by Bloomberg were looking at 0.2. There's that 0.4%. Kevin was off on that one by 1% over the last 12 months. There's that 5%. Okay, let's go into the actual granular data here. So it looks like, uh, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, the index for shelter was by far the largest contributor to the monthly increase. That's good. That's actually a good thing because we do expect that to come down for rents, which is good. Uh, however, we still haven't seen that come through. So there is that risk that what if that rental deflation never comes through? That would be a big problem, right? But we still expect it to come down. Even Jerome Powell just a few weeks ago reiterated uh, that this will be coming uh, down. We do have uh, stock futures jumping. The uh, two-year treasury yields are tumbling right now. This is fantastic. It looks like real average hourly earnings fall 0.7% year over year. No wage price spiral. This is fantastic. Uh, this is this is really good. And this is not like so bad to where all of a sudden we're looking at it going, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're at the end of the world in terms of depression or whatever. Uh, let's see here. Shelter. What's shelter? Shelter. There it is. Look at that. Shelter coming in at 0.6%. Uh, for the March numbers over here, that's telling you, remember, shelter it was actually upweighted in the CPI reweightings to about a 34% weight. Transportation services, my goodness, coming in at 1.4%, that's high. Medical care is not reinflating, that's very good. Uh, medical care commodities, however, a little bit of a commodities bump over here, not so good, 0.6%, it's about 7.2% annualized. Used cars coming in negative 0.9%, that's good. New vehicles coming in at 0.4%. Let's get a little bit more of a detailed chart here while I also get some more reaction here. Housing cost was the biggest contributor. Wall Street reacting to this. We're going to get the detailed chart here. 
get a little bit more numbers here while I pull this up. Remember, CPI is uh, – this is going to be a crazy day. I'm getting so many emails for bundle coupons already this morning because on expiration day, we go through all the emails for everybody who wants a bundle coupon. Email us at kevin at kevin.com. Let's go through the actual detailed set here. If you want a bundle code as well, you can email. I want to go right to the end and services. This is the most important side. Okay, here we go. Personal services. Thank freaking God. Look at that. 0.2%. Let's go. Let's go. No reanimation reanimation of inflation and services. Really important. 0.2%. That's 2.4% year over year. That's great. Personal care services. Uh, however, you have personal services overall still hot, but but kind of align, aligned with trend here at about 6%. So still a little high there, but not running away. Kind of like last month, we had that 1.1%. That was not great. Legal services finally reducing to about 0.2. Last month, we were a little high. Funeral popped up a little. Financial services finally coming down a little bit here, kind of matching that previous trend coming down from these prior higher numbers here. We want to see these services really stable. We don't want to see runaway inflation here. Education services annualized at 3.6%. Postage at 1.2% uh, annualized. That's great. Telephone services going negative. Great. Fantastic. Photography is going negative. Okay. Well, sorry, photographers. Okay, here we go. Thank goodness. Okay, this is one place where there could have been lingering inflation, and uh, that is in pets, pet supply, pet foods, you name it. Uh, thankfully for pet services, including vet services, 0.5%. That's more stable at 6%. That's good. Don't want to see runaway there. Video and audio services, still a little hot over here at 0.9. Rec services coming in flat, good. Airfares, oh my lord. Uh, that's not so great. Airfares at 4%. Uh, it's shocking to me how, how these airlines can continue price uh, or can continue to uh, pass on these high prices. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, now, fortunately, it's just a 0.6% weighting, but that's still pretty high. It is down from last month, but we'd like to see that negative. Motor vehicle insurance, 1.2% uh, for the month. That's still way too high. Warren Buffett was just talking about how insurance is actually helped by inflation because they can bring in more float, which then they can invest. Uh, so Warren Buffett actually cheering inflation for insurance. Not something we want to hear, obviously. Car and truck rentals down 3.8% good. Transportation services still hot, though. Health insurance, thank goodness. Look at those drops. Across the board drops here in medical basically services via uh, uh, insurance, hospital and related services, also negative, good, 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 good. Medical care services overall, negative, 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 negative. Good trend here of services, disinflation. We like seeing this. Uh, this this falls right into the argument that inflation can end up proving to be transitory, especially once we actually get the decline. Oh, it's happening. Oh, it's starting. Look at this. We're getting the rollover here uh, somewhat. We're finally starting to see it. Rent of primary residence finally coming in at 0.5%, uh, back to what we've seen previously. Finally seeing the rent of shelter number overall back to 0.6, off of those really high numbers like that 0.8, 0.7. I think we're starting to lap some of the year-over-year -year numbers, and month-over-month -month, we're starting to see a little bit of weakness. However, lodging away from homes, so hotels, still explosive growth here in the numbers, so still a little expensive. However, uh, rent of, of uh, your, your home is going to be a substantially larger contributor. You can see that here, owner's equivalent rents coming in at 0.5%. Let me quickly see what that 0.4% number is. That is our fourth number here. Yeah, that is the unadjusted Feb to March number. 
So let's get back over here. We're just going to ignore this right here because that's the Feb to March number. Really, you're going to be looking over here. That's the last three-month trend, and we finally see that moving down a little. Finally, that's actually really, really good. Uh, so happy, happy to hear this. Uh, this is good. Then you've got, what do we have here? We've got personal care products. Wow, that's still a little expensive. A little expensive over here on some of those personal care services. Uh, services, less energy, 0.4%. That's okay. Goods. Goods are still deflating. Well, not I shouldn't say 0.5% is deflating, but other goods sitting at 0.5% led by cigarettes, actually. Alcoholic beverages away from home, 0.3%. Look at this. Alcohol starting to really come in low in the last two months here, deflating, probably because Kevin stopped drinking alcohol. Uh, sorry, I, I was contributing to the industry too much, and, and so now, now I've stopped, but at least we're causing deflation, which is good. Uh, so that's a good thing. We've got education and communication commodities. Good, nice negatives over here. We have toys. Toys still hot. Uh, oh, oh, that's surprising at 0.7%. Sporting goods, negative 0.6%. Pet and pet products. See, look at this. Still hot over here at pet and pet products. That's good for companies like Petco. They're still able to pass on. They still have pricing power. We don't know how long that'll last, though, given the flat household formations. Medical care commodities coming in at 0.6. Recreation commodities, 0.2. Here we go. New vehicles coming in at 0.4. 4%, transportation, less motor fuels, uh, 0%, new cars, 0.6, new trucks, 0.3, used vehicles, negative 0.9. So you're still getting that compression where you've got new coming up in price and used coming down in price. Uh, this is this is fantastic. Um, we're going to speculate on the Federal Reserve in just a moment. Apparel coming in at 0.3%, finally softening after that initially warm uh, winter that we got in January and February, and uh, and you started seeing some more of those uh, spring sales pushed forward, which are generally higher or more likely to be full price sales. Tools and hardware coming in at just 0.2%, really nicely off that 2.7 from last month. Fantastic. Household furnishings coming in at 0.4%, still a little high. Appliances for some reason at 0.7 odd. Those are going to be like your coffee makers, whereas major appliances are still negative. They've been negative for a while. Those more durable goods and then, of course, if we look at foods, uh, we have a lot more volatility over here. Food, however, look at that. Food inflation, 0%. Now, who actually believes that? I don't know. Food's been so expensive. You go to restaurants, it's just insane right now. How's coffee doing? Coffee coming in at negative 0.4%. Good. I need some. Energy had a nice big drop over here at 3.5%. All right, let's get a little bit more of... Um, uh, the uh, commentary here from Wall Street, and then let's speculate on the Federal Reserve, shall we? Okay, so chief economist at Wells Fargo tells Bloomberg TV that while there are pockets of optimism in today's print, inflation is still far from 2%. You know, I'm so tired of people saying this. I really think they are just like bears who don't understand that inflation just has to trend down to 2% throughout the rest of the decade, and it's fine. Of course, it's not going to go, oh, we're at 2%. No shit, Sherlock. It's just I don't think people realize the Fed is going to pull fate out of the genie, out of the out of the magic hat. The bunny rabbit that comes out is going to be fate. Flexible average inflation targeting. The Federal Reserve uses policies known as opportunistic disinflation to make sure that inflation trends down over time. Obviously, inflation is too hot at 5% year over year, and that's why we're seeing rate increases to accelerate that disinflation. But does the Federal Reserve really want to destroy the economy uh, in order to get inflation down as long as it is trending down? No, of course not. So could the case be made for a pause here? 
Yes. Do I think this is enough deflation or, or disinflation, should I say, to see a pause? Probably not. I would probably go for a 25 basis point hike, and that's based on probably the Atlanta Fed now real GDP estimate. That is, real GDP growth right now is still expected to be about 2%. That means we have plenty of room for the Federal Reserve to increase their tightness on markets. I also think there is a large psychological effect to making sure that inflation is indeed uh, or proves to be transitory. I know everybody makes fun of the Federal Reserve, obviously, for saying that because they've been wrong for so long. Uh, and it, it's likely that they could be wrong again. But uh, when we take a look at this right here, this is the Atlanta real GDP FedNow estimate uh, released two days ago, which is two days before the expiration of the coupon code, given that today is the 12th, prices are going to be going up tonight. If you want to bundle up for any of those programs, whether it's zero to millionaire, real estate investing, stocks and psychology of money, elite hustlers, make more money as an entrepreneur and employee, learn about insurances, liabilities, LLC, you name it, everything linked uh, down below. Check that out. Obviously, this video isn't personalized financial advice, but I am a licensed financial advisor and run an ETF and have other affiliate links. You can learn more about at meetkevin.com, uh, some of which are sponsored. But let's go ahead and look at uh, this uh, GDP uh, link here. What do we have? Latest estimate, 2.2%. What's important for you to know about this right here is that this is a tool for the Federal Reserve to say, hey, look, if GDP is still trending 2% in our last and in our last summary of economic projections, we were looking at GDP at coming in at 0.5% by the end of the year. We still have leeway to actually raise uh, interest rates. And I think there's a psychological element to the Fed getting to 5%. So I think while the odds of a 50 basis point hike are going to fall as a result of this, I do believe that we are going to see uh, the Federal Reserve end up uh, uh, going for a 25 basis point hike. I actually think that is a good thing. If the Fed goes 25, it's a sign that we are further away from recession than people think, which is fantastic. 10-year Treasury yields are falling about seven basis points. We're sitting at about 3.36 right now. This is reiterating that inflation is trending towards potentially being transitory. Again, I realize that is offensive to some people to say that word because the Fed has been wrong so long. Uh, Two-year Treasury yields now falling about 14 basis points, sitting at 3.91. Uh, however, the fact of the matter is, if in a year from now inflation is potentially under target, we will look back and say, yes, it ended up being transitory. It just took time. It took patience. And that's probably the biggest thing we could learn from uh, from this entire cycle is that every, this, this, this whole cycle tends to take a lot of patience. Now, what I really want to be clear about uh, is what Wall Street is reacting with. So right now, it does look like futures are up about um, 65 basis points on the Dow, 82 basis points on uh, the S&P, and 107 basis points, 1.07% on the NASDAQ. It looks like uh, Powell's favorite inflation measure as of late is the core services in excluding housing came in at 0.4%. That is down from the 0.5% in February, but it is still slightly elevated. Uh, that, is, uh, uh, that is still a problem. So uh, core services, excluding housing, is not running away. That's a good sign. It's not runaway inflation. However, we are starting to see it trend down. It's just not low enough yet. That's okay. We know that. It takes time for it to trend down. The price of eggs tumbled the most since 1987, down 10.9% from Taylor Swift's, uh, actually down more, probably down like 50% from when Taylor Swift said she was going to help get egg prices down. Obviously, that's a joke. Uh, rates market is uh, is reacting to this, this weaker report here. Uh, however, we have the, let's see here, again, core services, X housing up 0.4%, not fantastic, uh, but again, still trending down. 
So that's called the uh, super core level, which does exclude housing just so we can really narrow into services. Uh, let's see here. Fed futures, uh, pricing and still rate cuts towards the end of the year from the Federal Reserve. Still sitting at expectations, though, for let me look at if we can get an adjustment on the terminal rate here. And then let's also look at the five-year break even. Stand by for that data. Five-year break even data. Let's see what we have. Uh, and then let's also look at if the terminal rate has started moving. So uh, slight inflection down coming on the five-year break even for inflation expectations. In terms of the Fed's terminal rate, we are looking at uh, financial conditions, by the way, also coming down, but you would expect that. Uh, less financial tightness given lower rates here. Waiting for this terminal rate to load. Uh, terminal rate still pricing at 4.99%. No big movement here. So still looking at that 25 BP hike, but it's, it's becoming clear as day that you're probably going to be at an end of uh, the Federal Reserve's hiking regime uh, once they get to an even 5%. I do, again, think that is a psychological level that they are going to get to, uh, and I am not concerned about a 25 BP hike. Do keep in mind later today, the Federal Reserve minutes come out from the prior meeting. Uh, bond market is still pricing in 17 basis points of hikes that is leaning towards 25. Remember what they basically do is they take the average of how much the bond market is pricing in zero and how much the bond market is pricing in 25. That average or the middle, the midpoint would be 12.5 basis points, right? The market right now is pricing in 17 basis points, which again leans us towards a 25 BP. I agree with that. I actually think it is good. Get to 5% and be done. Uh, markets are, let's see here, core figure coming in at 0.1% was fantastic. Uh, that actually matched my estimate perfectly, which is very exciting. And so uh, we're looking at actual market reactions here. I would expect that this very much aligns again with the Nike swoosh theory. If you haven't been watching sort of daily where I've been talking about the Nike swoosh, that's okay. I still love you. Uh, but let me make it clear. I think the Nike swoosh is basically where we have a sharp decline in prices. Uh, which we've had over 2012, uh, and then a Nike swoosh-style recovery. Let's show you what that would look like. Uh, briefly, this is pretty simple. What a Nike swoosh potentially looks like is you have a sharp decline, uh, which we had throughout 2012. You bottom out in around October, maybe in some stocks you bottom out in July, uh, in December, depending on the type of stock. And then you have this, this very long, drawn-out, dare I say, Nike swoosh that potentially takes really just the next 10 years, not necessarily to get to prior levels, but basically the Nike swoosh just continues for the next 10 years. We, had, we really start a new bull market uh, era. However, in the meantime, you end up with a lot of this, a lot of volatility that creates a lot of nervousness and pessimism. Uh, each one of these drawdowns will be very painful and uh, people will question, is inflation transitory? Is the, did the Fed over tighten? How terrible is the recession going to be? Uh, who knows? But uh, my thesis is, Look for pricing power stocks. I talk about those, obviously, uh, and, and I put my money where my mouth is. You can learn more about those at meetkevin.com. You can see the links not only for the courses with trade alerts or the uh, the ETF or the affiliate links linked down below. But this gives us CPI, a fantastic uh, read on CPI. Very, very excited about this. So this is great news. Uh, uh, it, it is a little bit of a shocker that it came in low, but back on over to Warren Buffett and uh, see what Buffett has to tell us uh, and potentially in reaction to what we're seeing now. So uh, let's hop in. Do, 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 do.
wagers. Um, Taiwan Semiconductor is a stock that All right. showed up in Berkshire's holdings in, in a big way a couple of quarters ago. And then a quarter later, most of it was gone. Yeah, that was me. That wasn't one of the two other guys. There's two other people that make the decision. They each run about $15 billion. And sometimes they get confused with me. They said, Bob is buying this or not. And it's one of the two other guys. But that was my decision. And, and I think Taiwan Semiconductor is one of the best. Well, it's the best in that field and is one of the best companies in the world. It's a fabulous enterprise. And uh, Apple buys a lot of the products from them. I mean, they, they, they're good and they're coming to the United States. And we're, we're actually, I think, maybe even building for one of our subsidiaries, helping build facilities for them. But I do think that that uh, they, there is a danger there to some. I don't have any idea. There's actually a danger of seismic action. I mean, and and and, and, and where they're located, but that's a low probability. And they, you know, they they're smart people. But but would I rather have it? That was a U.S. domicile company than than be a subject of who knows what, depending on conditions outside their control, I'd rather, you know, I, I, I reevaluated that part of it. I didn't reevaluate the business, the management, or anything of the sort. It is a fabulous company. Uh, and, you know, it, uh, You reevaluated the geopolitical risk yeah, from China sure, stepping sure. in yeah. to, to Taiwan? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think there's any question that conditions change. I just don't know what the results of conditions changing. I mean, China and the United States are going to be superpowers, you know, as long as your children live and, you know, and, and they will always compete with each other. And, uh, and they should, and she can't let it get out of control and you can't have accidents and all sorts of things. I mean, that, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's a dangerous world. If you're concerned about China and what that might mean for Taiwan Semiconductor, are you worried about what it would mean for your largest holding, Apple? Because Apple does so much of its yeah. business there, both in terms of manufacturing and sales. Oh, I weigh that in, but but Apple is um, it, uh, uh, if somebody if if you're an Apple user and somebody offers you $10,000, uh, but the only proviso is you'll never be able to, they'll take away your your iPhone and you'll never be able to buy another. You're not going to take it. Uh, if, if they tell you if you buy another Ford motor car, they'll give you $10,000 not to do that. You'll take the $10,000 you'll buy a Chevy instead. I mean, it, it is, it's an incredibly valuable uh Utility. It, that doesn't mean that it can't be misused by kids, and Tim Cook cares about that. I mean, the, everything can be used. Fire can be misused. I mean, they're, they're, uh, uh, but I think that Tim Cook is the, one of the classiest CEOs. I mean, he understands the business, and he is, has a product which Steve Jobs basically invented, but Tim Cook has managed that company in an extraordinary way, and uh, uh, you know, I, I love, you know, we've got a hundred and well, whatever we got, we've got 
nine mo- 900 million plus, 915 million shares actually. And, you know, it's, it, but people say, well, isn't that a lot of money to have it? Well, we've got a railroad worth a similar amount. We've got a utility business worth a similar amount. I mean, it's a wonderful business. How the hell could, we can't develop a business like that. And so we own a lot of it. And, and, uh, and our ownership goes up a little bit every year because they buy in their stock and, and, and Tim does not issue it. He buys it in and, and we love it. Meaning you're not selling any. Oh, I, I, no, I, I, there was one period actually from a tax standpoint, it was a good idea to sell some. We sold some around 115 uh, and uh, it was a dumb sale. I mean, in the end, now uh, we could sell the tax situation some other way. And uh, uh, we actually bought a few shares last year. We got a little, few more shares when we bought, we bought uh, Allegheny Corp because they had some of the portable. We only kept two stocks they owned, Berkshire Hathaway and Apple. They happened to own, they had 20, I don't know, 27 stocks or something. They're all gone except for those two. Uh, so, I, we will never own a business that makes so many people happier and useful for them. And, you know, you probably got 20,000 photos up there and that, that, and it, Apple, what Steve Jobs did with that and other people can do other technical things. And I don't know whether I'm, when I look at my iPhone, I don't know whether there's some little guy inside that's doing things. I don't know the technical. Ooh, Warren Buffett has an iPhone. That's kind of cool. Also, keep in mind, I stream every single day. And I encourage you to join every single day uh, around this time. People and, and talk to the people that sell our, our various products at the furniture market. And, and uh, you know, whether they're old, whether they're young, whether, they, you know, uh, uh, they want to have it. And, and lots of people have multiple uh, products. They have, they have, uh, They've been come up with just one little addition after another, and who knows, who knows what they come up with additionally. But Tim Cook has managed that business, uh, one of the greatest managers, obviously, in history. Let's talk about another company you own that has uh, a major China presence. In fact, that's its only presence, BYD, right. the electric car company that Ooh. you've owned for a very long time. Here we go. Um, you've been selling some of that. Why? Yeah. Well, we've been selling it because... The company, our interest in it's being valued at, I don't know, well, the interest we had is being valued at, you know, six and a half billion, whatever it may be. And and I think it's an extraordinary company. And I think the fellow that runs it, who's run it right along ever since we purchased it, I don't know, 14 years ago or something, is an extraordinary person, been over there. But I, but I, I think that, uh, uh, We'll find things to do with the money that I'll feel better about. Uh, but we haven't we haven't sold our BYD by a long time. We're not in a hurry on selling it, but but uh, uh, my job is to oh come on <laughs> allocate the capital and within Berkshire Hathaway the way I would do it for my sister because she is a big shareholder and and, and that's the way I feel about all the millions of shareholders we have. Very quickly, can I just ask you about Paramount? That's an, another uh, Berkshire investment that's been a relatively new one. Um, is it because of streaming? What what, what happened? Streaming what? that you know is not really a very good business, and uh, Ooh. Ooh. you know it. it uh, uh, the people 
in entertainment have made lots of money. The shareholders really haven't done that great over time. And uh, uh, it's applied to many, it's a, it's a glamorous business. And, and uh, I had some friends in Hollywood, you know, and they, they look for pigeons, you know, <laughs> and they find them. I mean, it's like, it, it, it attracts people. And uh, you mean suckers? it's a great way to meet girls. Oh, you you mean on. suckers? <laughs> but the, uh, it isn't fundamentally that good a business, whether it was distributing, producing movies or, and, and you've got some people that have got deep pockets that aren't going to quit. And the product they're offering people a chance to watch all those movies, you know, for peanuts and all that, but can they raise prices? We'll find out. But so far they haven't been able to, they've been able to attract subscribers, but they have tracked them at a terrible price. All right. You gave a whole lot of reasons why not to buy Paramount. Why did you buy it? Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, Warren, you are known for somebody who has the appetite and the taste of a five-year-old. You like hot dogs. You like Coke. You like uh, seized candy. Someone wrote in on Twitter and wants to know what you've been eating in Japan. Oh, that's that's an interesting question. I I I, uh, I have a Coke here, and uh, I mean, I had some Hershey Kisses before I came over here, and, and a few things like that, and uh, and. No, I, I've gotten a 92 with the habits of a six-year-old. And so far, it's working. Charlie's 99, and he doesn't eat any better than I do, uh, pretty much. But I just get more attention with my diet. And, you know, it, uh, I think, I mean, it, it, you know, you roll the dice. I've been lucky in life. I haven't really gotten that sick. And the, the only terrible things happen when people die or get sick that you care about. And if you can make a decent living in this country, it, you know, it, just been lucky and and you know i make all kinds of money because i'm good at some game where the crumbs of capitalism just fall off the table and 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 uh and it, it, you know what what people contribute to society is not proportional somebody that you know gives their life fighting a war that they don't need to get that I always admired Hank Greenberg, you know, he can be a tough competitor and everything in the business, but he lied about his age upward in order to go in the army and he landed at Normandy. That, I mean, that is, that's really uh, something. So I've been lucky and, uh, you know, I, I always tell people I found everything I like to eat by the time I was six. I mean, <laughs> I mean why, why should I fool around with all these other foods? I know all these people eat all these green things and everything, but if somebody told me I would live an extra year if I ate nothing but broccoli and a few other things all my life, instead of eating what I like to eat, I would say take a take a year off the end of my life and let me <laughs> let me eat what I like to eat. But I don't really think of it because I think it, I think happiness makes an enormous amount of difference in in terms of you can't measure it very well in terms of longevity. And I'm happier when I'm eating hot fudge sundaes or drinking coke or whatever it may hot dogs. Oh. Warren, we are lucky to have spent the last three hours with you. We want to thank you for your time today. Thanks for inviting me. You invited us, but thank you. <laughs> Warren Buffett and uh, Joe, we'll send it back over to you. All right. We've got some I love the correction. You invited us. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, really, really cool. Uh, I mean, Warren Buffett's an inspiration. It's, uh, it's really, really awesome. Uh, well, let's do a let's do a sort of a quick recap on on some of the things that uh, Warren's talked about here, just because I I think they're they're just so wonderful and and genuine. Um, so let's do a quick little note here, and I'll stand by. 
Hey, so Warren Buffett just gave some wonderful life and investing advice that I think is so wonderful and uh, really genuine. And I wanted to make a special segment just to highlight some of my favorite parts of what Warren Buffett mentioned. Uh, first, uh, probably by far the biggest mention that I think will go uh, really uh, under uh, the, the news coverages, uh, that is most people won't pay attention to it, is that Warren Buffett's biggest goal in business is making sure that his companies are run by good people who basically do the right thing and provide a good or service that makes happy customers. That's it. And I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. It's one of the things that I built my business on is the idea of providing value, provide more than what people are expecting, whether it's in uh, when, when I was working at Jamba Juice or Hollister as a real estate agent, as a real estate broker, hopefully as a YouTube content creator in my courses, as a financial advisor, who cares, whatever it is, my goal is provide more than people are expecting. And I think Warren Buffett reiterates that exact notion. And he invests in businesses that do exactly that. For example, one of these incredible comparisons he makes is he makes this comparison of how people will go out of their way to pay more money for the next iPhone. He reveals that he has an iPhone. And even though he doesn't understand how the iPhone works, he understands that people are willing to pay a premium for that iPhone. And what he's really describing is pricing power. What is a product, a good or service, where people are willing to pay for it no matter what the price is? Is that potentially a Tesla with full self-driving? Is it an NVIDIA graphics chip? Is it AMD? Is it uh, the NVIDIA server chips? Or, uh, you know, is it an Enphase microinverter? Because people just have to have that particular quality microinverter over another. Who knows? But Warren Buffett makes a fantastic argument. If the company has a goal of making their customer happy, they win. And that's his only goal. He doesn't care about economic forecasts. He doesn't really care about the news cycle. He cares about the business. And even though in some of his businesses, he's realizing negative 22% year-over-year declines, he's seeing that some of his managers, in fact, a lot of his managers are seeing uh, things are down a lot more than they thought they would be six months ago. And part of that could be because of prior orders basically keeping the pipeline full. And now they're slowing down. Even the railroads, which transport a lot of essential goods for the businesses Warren Buffett invests in, uh, even railroads are seeing the slowdown. He's seeing the slowdown, but he ultimately just says, look, he's been doing this for well over 50 years, probably well over 60 years at this point. The one thing to focus on is providing good value and making sure you're doing the right thing. You're not a criminal. You're putting one foot in front of the other. And you're investing in basically pricing power style investment. It's a fantastic insight. Really, it doesn't matter what economists say. In fact, he says, he goes as far as saying that economists are a waste of money. And that if there's an economist providing projections at a company, they should not uh, be spending money on that person. In other words, the company is wasting their time and money listening to that person because nobody knows. The biggest thing that matters are numbers. He's asked about the credit crunch or the banking crisis, and he suggests, hey, you know what? The banking crisis probably isn't over. There's probably more damage to come. And a lot of people ask me, they say, Kevin, uh, and, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Buffett. I'm just simply, you know, people ask me, they're like, Kevin, what do you think about the banking crisis? Like, is it, is it going to get worse? And the reality is there are always going to be companies at the fringes that go bankrupt, especially during recessionary times, always. That, that will always occur. There is no doubt that in recessionary times, businesses will fail. 
Those will be banks. Those will be companies that you know and love. Those will be companies that you hate. There will always be companies that fail. That is extremely normal. So am I terribly concerned about a banking crisis? No. Am I terribly concerned about credit conditions tightening? Not terribly. There was a fantastic piece in The Economist this morning, though, that did make a fantastic argument. And the fantastic argument they made uh, was actually, I wrote it down right here. They say, uh, the final source of stress will be firms' own liquidity. That is, companies have been basically able to pull inexpensive debt. But if there are future shocks, being able to pull new liquidity going forward may become more difficult. So maybe we haven't seen the full shocks yet because we need another shock to actually strain businesses, and then we will see a real liquidity crunch. And it's an interesting argument because it basically says, don't look at the banking crisis today and try to find what the explanation is for a credit crunch today. Instead, look for what a credit crunch could potentially do during the next shock. Now, Warren Buffett does the usual when it comes to Bitcoin. He says, Bitcoin has the same allure as playing Russian roulette. In other words, he alludes or uh, associates it with gambling. He says that uh, Taiwan Semiconductors is the best in its field. It was uh, his decision to end up parting with the company. Sometimes he does that because he sees a better opportunity somewhere else. And in his case, it seems to be cash because they've got about $100 million in cash sitting around. Uh, Do keep in mind, they've been spending a lot of money on stocks as well. Uh, Warren Buffett uh, calls uh, AI technology extraordinary. He does cite some concerns with him. He says that inflation is a constant threat to a country because ultimately you fade away the value of the dollar, and this is why you invest in assets. Uh, Although Warren Buffett does invest heavily in cash, a lot of that money is held in treasuries. He says he's not into commercial paper. He prefers treasuries. He does say there could be further bank uh, failures and that the government won't save shareholders from troubled banks, which they really shouldn't. Uh, He says that troubled banks are not value stocks. This is something I've mentioned as well is that I think troubled banks could be a way to maybe speculate and gamble. But uh, in the long term, they're not something I would want to hold. He says, uh, let's see here, dumb things banks do lead to mistakes and bank failures. So I think that's a great argument. Basically puts the blame where it belongs right on the banks. Take a look at some of the other things he says. He uh, does talk about streaming. I think this is a fantastic lesson as well when he talks about streaming. He talks about streaming as basically being a very low pricing power business. He doesn't use the words pricing power, but he talks about streaming being a, quote, not really good business. In other words, uh, Becky Quick responds and says, you mean it's for suckers? And he kind of laughs and says, well, it's just fundamentally it isn't a good business. And that's because even though it attracts people, the way you attract more subscribers is by lowering the price. And that's the opposite of pricing power, right? Uh, and, And he says, look, what they're offering people is they're offering content for peanuts. Do they really have the ability to raise prices, he says. Now, so he gives a lot of negatives for maybe a Disney or a Netflix. One of the reasons I haven't been exposing myself to Disney stock is because I feel like they're taking the profitable business and they're putting all that money into the unprofitable business of streaming, kind of like with Facebook. And look, I know Facebook stock has done fantastically over the past few months from the bottom, obviously. I mean, if you time anything at the bottom, the stock will have done fantastically. But I hate that they're taking a very profitable ad business and dumping all of that money into the metaverse, which I don't believe in in terms of a future. Uh, I actually think that augmented reality will be a substantially uh, uh, more profitable and will be substantially closer to our near-term reality than virtual reality. 
uh, augmented is, is think about kind of like wearing glasses and then maybe having like your Twitter feed off to the, your peripheral vision or something, just as an example. Uh, that that's more of just my prediction, though, uh, not something that Warren Buffett talked about. But uh, I do think it's very interesting how he regularly, when it comes to analyzing businesses, talks about pricing. What is their ability to get somebody to part with their cash? Uh, and think about the businesses that he pays that, that that he owns. I mean, some of the biggest businesses, Apple, right, Coca Cola, Seas Candy. These aren't discount businesses by any means. None of them are businesses where people go to them because they're the cheapest. Consider a company that uh, Warren Buffett holds uh, called NetJets. It's a uh, charter uh, airline company. It is a company that um, that is a premium service. There are cheaper services, for example, like Wheels Up, uh, private air charters. Uh, however, NetJets, which is a non-public uh, company, it's owned by Berkshire Hathaway and, and Hull, uh, it's a quality product. And it's solely focused on making their customers happy. Now, I've used multiple different charter services, and I'll tell you, NetJets is the best. By far, it's the best. It's the highest quality. They're the ones that make sure you have catered food when you come. The other companies don't do that. They have the nicest planes. They have the nicest service. They seem to have the best pilots. Warren Buffett focuses on quality. Uh, I mean, consider Ketchup uh, is such a simple company. But why invest in Ketchup? Well, in the, uh, in, in the eyes of Warren Buffett. People are willing to pay for it, no matter what the price is. Such a simple business. Look at his 20.4% stake in American Express. American Express caters to the higher income customer, the premium brand. So I think it's fascinating. I think he's got some really great arguments in terms of the businesses that he holds. Some of the companies that he invests in, I'm not the biggest fan of. I'm not the biggest fan of investing uh, directly in companies uh, like, uh, most specifically at this point, companies like, Bank of America, but that may be because when I got started in the real estate business, I had terrible experiences with Bank of America, uh, especially after their countrywide takeover. But who, hey, who knows? Maybe things have gotten better. Uh, he's also got smaller exposure to some of the staples like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, uh, UPS. These are businesses I'm not terribly excited about myself. And of course, he's made a lot of money investing in uh, some companies like Occidental Petroleum or Chevron. And a lot of these companies, the way he's describing them is Having potentially pricing power, not only because of the fact that we need oil, but also uh, that they're moving into these carbon tire capture technologies and green technologies. I will say, though, one of the problems with the carbon technology or carbon capture technologies, for example, at Occidental Petroleum, is that they're massive money losers. If you look at the annual 10K report for Occidental Petroleum, massive money loser. Uh, you, you, you solely lose money on carbon capture technology. And so I think it's sort of the companies are doing that to try to appear green, to make regulators a little bit happier, shareholders a little happier, so that way people have a defense. And eventually, those technologies will be good. These companies have the money to make the investments and sort of make have losses over there, so, so maybe that makes sense. But uh, in, in the more grand scheme of things here, I think Warren Buffett has, has made a fantastic argument this morning uh, on his um, CNBC interview that you want to focus on where pricing power is. And whether that is a simple product, again, like ketchup or Coca-Cola, or it is a premium product like Apple, focus on pricing power and ultimately you win. And that is something that he clearly said without saying, right? The, and, and I think the best example was the, the his actual quote on streaming, which was his actual quote on streaming. I wrote it down right here. Uh, it isn't fundamentally a good business. You've got some people with deep pockets who won't quit, but what they're offering people is for peanuts. Can they raise prices? Eh. That was sort of his quote. 
And I thought it was fantastic because it reiterates so much of what we talk about on the channel. Uh, and again, anything I could do to compare myself to Warren Buffett, I, I don't want to say that I'm trying to pat myself on the back here. I'm not, I'm not at all. I'm just saying I think that is the right path to be trending on. Anytime you could be on the trend towards uh, towards where Warren Buffett goes, I think that's a, that is a great starting point. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so that gives me uh, some opinion or that shares some opinion on Warren Buffett. Let's next talk a little bit about uh, the Fed. And let me see here what Wall Street has to say about the Fed. So stand by for the Fed. CPI, Fed, bond market. Okay, let's see here. American Air says quarterly profit, likely below estimates. So we got a little heads up there on American Air. That just came in. Okay, so the minutes are coming out today as well. The FOMC minutes will be out in about four hours. The minutes are likely to show uh, this this price stability mandate. We're gonna these are gonna be the first minutes coming into or coming out of rather. Well, hold on, let me let me check really quick. Let me see when was the last meeting? FOMC meeting. I think it was February twenty second. Oh, these minutes are gonna be good. Oh my gosh, let me give you a preview on this. Hold on a second here. Meeting was the 22nd. Oh, these minutes are going to be fantastic. All right, let's do a quick little preview on, on the minutes. And we'll do that. There we go. Okay, quick preview on the Fed minutes that are coming out at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time today. These are going to be a massive deal because these are going to be the minutes from literally during the banking crisis. So March 22nd was the meeting. The Federal Reserve usually makes their decision on interest rate increases about two weeks prior to their Fed meeting. So in other words, the Fed might be making their decision today for whether or not we're going to get that 25 basis point hike in May, at the beginning of May, May 2nd. I believe that we will. Now, I believe that we will because I think it would be a good that the Federal Reserve ends up going for a 5% terminal rate. Psychologically, it would be good for anchoring inflation. Uh, and keep in mind that meeting starts on the second. The actual announcement will be on the third, so I just want to clarify that. Uh, so I do think the Fed will end up going for 25 BP, and we'll probably see the market continue to price in a slight tilt towards that 25 BP. But anyway, these minutes will show us how the Federal Reserve balanced inflation and the banking collapses of Silicon Valley Bank. Signature Bank and the other banks that collapsed as well and the drama going on with the regionals, uh, potential for a bank run, how they responded. So what to expect? Here's an outline of uh, what to expect. Uh, first, officials uh, comparing scenarios for should they keep hiking? What about quantitative tightening? How do the new liquidity facilities affect quantitative tightening? Is it possible that as the Fed balance sheet goes up, they can keep raising interest rates? I mean, aren't those counterintuitive to essentially on one hand be printing money and on the other hand be raising rates? We expect today in those minutes to see the evaluation of how they came to the decision to make sure to keep fighting inflation. And one of the things that I'm going to be looking for in the minutes, or, or you know, well, let's make a list of things that we're going to be looking for in the minutes. So the first thing that I would be looking for in the minutes is going to be economic strength. That's probably one of the most important things in the market right now is we want to see that the economy still has strength. The Atlanta Real Now GDP forecaster shows that we're still above 2% for real GDP. The Fed expects GDP to fall as low as 0.4% by the end of the year via their last summary of economic projections. What went into that? What data 
went into their projection that GDP is going to fall to 0.4% by the end of the year. And I want to see in the minutes what contributed to their fear that GDP was falling. And they believe that we could still hold GDP positive. So the first thing I would write this down to prepare for the minutes. Number one, write down economic strength. That is probably going to be one of the most important takeaways from this next minutes report. Forget whether we're going to get 25 or not. 25 or not is going to be a fart compared to whether or not we go into a recession. Whether or not we go into a recession, that's going to be the big deal. And so focus on economic strength in these minutes. Number two, obviously, any kind of hints uh, for getting to a terminal rate and uh, further banking stress. And then number three, I'm going to write down their analysis of the credit crunch. I would expect something like, look, we've already seen a credit crunch. Are we seeing any accelerating of a credit crunch? The fourth thing I'm going to be looking for is any kind of housing indicators that they're seeing. Uh, obviously, we've seen extremely tight supply, which has led housing uh, prices to actually start trending up again, despite uh, interest rates remaining relatively high. So focus on those here. Uh, then the fifth thing and the last thing that I would focus on in the minutes is any kind of a commentary on how quickly they want to get inflation down. So the timing of inflation down. And so those are going to be, we're going to be looking for words like average, opportunistic, uh, flexible, any kind of average, well, we already said average 2%, right? Uh, flex uh, fate. If we get any reference to fate, it would be a game changer. I suppose a sixth thing that I would be looking for would be also any kind of suggestions on the timing of uh, services, disinflation. When do they need to see services disinflation? Remember, super core today came in at 0.4% for super core inflation, super core CPI. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe the timing of housing disinflation, because even though we expect to see housing disinflation, we just went from 0.8% to 0.6%, which is great, but it's still hot. When are we really going to see that roll-off? Uh, JP Morgan believes we're going to see that roll-off somewhere around June or July, we're sitting just now in getting the March data. So maybe we're still three months away from getting that housing disinflation. Can the Fed reiterate that three-month away housing disinflation? What about services disinflation? If we're at 4.4% super core right now, that's 4.8% annualized. 4.8% annualized is obviously way too high. And if we're at 4.8% annualized, when is that going to come down? How patient is the Fed willing to be? Does the Fed think if they can pause at 5%, will CPI super core come down? Remember, super core is really those services X housing. Uh, I do not believe, and I'm going to write this down as number nine. This is going to be the uh, start stop. A lot of people think that the Federal Reserve could just pause now and then pick it up again. In fact, one of the new Fed board members, Mr. Goolsby, which when you write it, it's really funny, but I feel bad for him. But when you write Goolsby, the autocorrect changes it to Foolsby. And he wrote uh, or, or said in an interview yesterday, prudence and patience to assess tighter conditions uh, would, would, would be wise. And he suggested holding on further rate hikes until they have more information. But that suggests the start-stop method. 
I don't think they're going to go for start stop. The reason I don't think they're going to go for or, or stop start stop start again is because that's the mistake they made in the seventies during Aaron Borer uh, and and his Federal Reserve governorship. What the Federal Reserve did is they raised rates, and then they saw the economy slow, and then they paused and cut rates, and then inflation reanimated, and then they raised rates again, and they basically kept trying to adjust the temperature of the stove without considering the lag time that it takes for the heat to actually get to the food. And then they kept overcooking the food and undercooking the food, overcooking, undercutting. And it's like, stop touching the damn dial. Just set it and forget it. And then, and then cook with that. Uh, and so the reason that's a problem is when you have that method is people watch you cooking at the stove and they're like, you've lost your marbles. You don't know what you're doing. You have no control over what's going on. And when People believe that the Federal Reserve has lost control, which, believe me, plenty of people already believe the Federal Reserve has lost control and that they're nut jobs. I get it. Okay, There are plenty of people who hate the Fed, and I don't want to come across as a Fed apologist because I agree. I think they've made some mistakes, but I think they could still end up being right on transitory inflation, which is fantastic or would be fantastic for the Nike swoosh recovery, which is obviously something we're making a bet on, putting our money where our mouth is. But what I really want to focus on here is saying that the Fed's not going to repeat that. So I really doubt we're going to get any kind of like pause and then restart. If the Fed pauses, they're done. I want you to write write that down. Hold me to that. If the Fed pauses, they are done. This tightening cycle is over if that pause occurs. Now, what I will say is uh, the five-year break-even rate is still a little on the high side. I'd like to see this come down substantially. I'm going to show that uh, on screen here in just a moment. Let me pull that up. Uh, do keep in mind today is a coupon expiration day. Prices will be going up for those programs on Building Growth today. Email us for a bundle coupon code at kevin at meetkevin.com if you'd like to bundle up. So what do we have right here? Well, what we have is the five-year break-even chart. This goes all the way back to the beginning of 2022. Let me also go back to the five-year. But uh, look at where we sit. Unfortunately, we still have some work to do here. We really want to see, in order to see rate cuts, we would love to see this get down to about 1.6%. Uh, and while we've got a nice... A rough downtrend. The downtrend was a lot better right here. We broke that downtrend because of the January data. This downtrend was broken. Now we've got kind of a, a crappier trend, so to speak. If we could get back down to trend, we'd be over here at 2.15. Hopefully we trend down to this level. And inflation break-evens are so important because they're really a way of the Fed saying, hey, uh, you know, as long as inflation expectations are anchored, we're okay. We don't have to keep raising rates. Uh, and, and that's good. But as soon as this really breaks out, which it really started to going into the banking crisis, you end up having problems. Now, in order to go, if you go back to 2018, you'll see that we actually have to get this right chart all the way down to about 1.6% to iterate Fed cuts. So that does indicate we still have some work to do with the Federal Reserve. We'll see. We'll be getting those minutes today. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, somebody here just donated $4.99 to talk about the 0% mortgage with 0% down. That's only for 2,500 people. It's classic California clickbait, 2,500 people. That's it. And then the program's out of money. Yes, it's a good program. Yes, I've already gone through it. Yes, I've already talked about it. But 2,500 people, there's not a lot of people. Uh, so it's not really worth talking about. Anyway, uh, with that said, Thank you so much for watching. I've got to get ready for the course member live stream. Remember, you get lifetime access to all of the course member live streams if you join the programs linked down below. Not only do you get lifetime access to all of the programs, uh, when, when, when either of the programs you buy, you get all the access to all of the content within them uh, and uh, lifetime access to the live streams. 
you uh, anytime we add new content, you get that for free. My goal is to really provide more value, and I'm convinced that if you go through the lectures that are in any of the courses, Stocks and Psychs, Zero to Millionaire Real Estate Investing, Do-It-Yourself Property Management, Real Estate Agent Sales, YouTube Content Creation, you're going to learn a perspective that nobody else has talked about before. People like to make this argument, oh, I could Google the information. You can't, A, because it's my perspective and my theory on on how to advance in any of these worlds. Uh, and B, even if you could, you wouldn't even know what to Google. And so that's what's so beautiful about these courses. It puts everything in order for you of exactly how to build perspective, learn everything that I do on the perspectives that I have for various different industries. And I encourage you to check that out link down below. So thank you so much for being here. Wish you all the best. And I pray that the Nike swoosh holds so we can continue on our path to recovery. Today's CPI data was fantastic. Let's hope that the minutes continue to reiterate that. And we'll see you in the course member live stream in a few minutes. Thanks so much. Goodbye and good luck.